0: You don't want to hear me talk about Anglo-American conservatism, that isn't my area of expertise, and so I'll just talk about the issues that brought me here, which were my critiques of the winsome approach to cultural engagement. I'm going to focus in this short discussion on the limits of a winsome approach, particularly to politics. How does this cloud our judgment about politics and hold us back from important work that we can and should pursue? In our intense cultural battles, conservative Christians are often reminded that because we must love our enemies and show the meekness of Christ, we should therefore avoid culture warring or getting political. Rather, we are told we need to be winsome and find a way to transcend the divisions of our day. We are to lay down our rights for, quote, the world is watching. Any pursuit of power will supposedly discredit the church's public witness. Any attempt to win is characterized by our opponents as a mere power grab and selfish pursuit of privileges. They say by this we reveal that we've made politics superior to our faith and we instrumentalize the faith for partisan ends and in so doing we possibly win the world and we definitely lose our souls. Friends these are tired tropes filled with sloppy logic and false dilemmas. And this is not how Protestants have always thought about or approached politics throughout our history and even today it's not how our opponents approach politics. Such accusations are a way to hamstring conservative efforts to serve the common good and love their neighbors through the pursuit of a just social order. I have shared my basic argument in various places, so I'll be brief here in recapping as I get to more new content. Winsomeness makes us think about politics through the lens of evangelism. Thus our political judgments and actions are filtered through how they will make our neighbors more or less likely to receive the gospel message. But I think this is a foolish approach for at least a couple reasons. First of all, we actually can't know how, uh, can't be certain about how our political actions will work evangelistically. And even here, we see a subtle pragmatism at play. It's just pragmatic in all the wrong ways. But even if we took this line of thinking, it is quite plausible that a future generation might look back upon our era and wonder who stood bravely against the abortion industrial complex and radical gender ideology uh, being pushed on children in the face of severe cultural pressure and widespread nonsense. Who knows? For instance, I wonder where the de-transitioners will turn in the future, and whom they will blame for their silence and complicity. But this is also foolish because it's a category error. Politics is not about maximizing openness to the gospel message, though that always needs to be in our minds, but politics is rather about ordering our common life together. It's the prudential pursuit of justice and a just social order. And the winsome framework, I think, inhibits our ability to act in accord with proper political prudence. It tricks us into thinking that we need to constantly highlight with equal airtime the flaws in all sides, or to put all issues on the same level, resulting in false moral equivalencies on issues and strategies, producing a crippling inability to recognize and publicly admit when there is moral asymmetry between contemporary sides and even among the issues themselves. We need to be clear. Some causes are simply more important than others. Some issues are black and white, and some strategies are clearly more in accord with justice. And if we're being honest, the winsome pressures seem to be targeted particularly at conservative Christians. They are the ones who are supposedly culture warring or politicizing the faith, whereas the political pursuits of our Christian brothers and sisters on the left are characterized as social justice and prophetic witness. Only conservatives are the ones who compromise partisans, only they are obsessed with power. Any scent of a stronger association with explicitly conservative figures, movements, and agendas will get deemed as subordinating faith to politics. But this doesn't seem to apply to certain Christian demographics and their near total support for the Democrats. Look, it's true. Political power is dangerous. There are temptations that come with it. Lord Acton is right, it can corrupt. But abuse does not negate proper use, and there is a proper use for political power. And if it is still available to us as it is, to leave it to those opposed to the good as we perceive it is irresponsible abdication, it's a failure of love. Since there is still the possibility of using political power for the good ends that we seek, this means that culture war quietism and political pietism are not only foolish, but immoral. But culture war quietism and political pietism are what the winsome advocates push on Christian conservatives. We are all practical Anabaptists now, it would seem. Or at least conservative Christians are expected to be. So a couple quick points here. Quietism is untenable in an era of aggressive leftism and woke totalitarianism and all of that. Look, you might not be interested in the culture war, but the culture war is interested you, in you and your kids. The battles are on your doorstep. The tentacles of anti-Christian, anti-human leftism are encroaching into every sphere. To ignore the conflict is irresponsible because it effectively baptizes the corrupt status quo and makes us complicit with the wicked and destructive principalities and powers of our day. Morally responsible persons must act to resist evil and promote the good. The other problem is that Christians, even if they recognize these battles and get involved in the political sphere, if they operate according to the winsome frame, they'll be tempted by the lie that they must only associate with pure persons and perfect methods, leading to what Emmanuel Mounier, a mid-century Catholic philosopher on the left, called being paraplegics of virtue. And what I would label, and I would describe as embracing political pietism is my phrase. People who are hoodwinked by this logic, for instance, will argue that you can only vote for figures whose lifestyle you can fully endorse, and they also get deceived by a veneer of respectability covering over wicked policies. Look, mean tweets aren't the only kind of meanness. Much of the evil in our society is masked by its banality to invoke Kana Arendt, and how we sanitize our atrocities. Think of abortions in clean clinics rather than back alleys, or the euphemisms of women's healthcare and gender-affirming care. Political pietism and the desire to keep one's hands totally clean and associate only with political figures who have broad respectability or policies that ruffle few feathers clouds judgment. It makes it difficult for these folks to act with proper political prudence, to take concrete political action to advance society in the direction of justice and good order. This leads Christians to hesitate to pursue and use political power. They will feel that to keep their hands clean, they need to stay out of politics. But this will lead to a failure to practically love our neighbors. My proposal is that we need to retrieve a version of Christian realism. Christian realism is grounded in Augustine's political thought, starting from the recognition of the depth and scope of sin's effects, and therefore leading uh, to limited expectations on what can be accomplished in the temporal order. Key Protestant Christian realists in the 20th century who developed this tradition would be people like Reinhold Niebuhr, Paul Ramsey. But politics is about the pursuit of a good social order. But as I argue, it must be prudential. It is the art of the possible. Christian realists recognize the reality of sin and the inherent limitations in all social projects. They embrace the necessity of of political compromises. They are willing to collaborate with flawed figures and employ imperfect methods in their pursuit of justice. Christian realists know that power is inescapable, and Christians shouldn't absent themselves from its use. The winsome types will accuse us of something nefarious here. But again, power is an inescapable fact of created existence, and it is not inherently evil. Governing authorities are ordained to use it responsibly to promote justice and peace. Thus, it is a means to express charity. Politics is one way we love our neighbors. The idea that because there are disagreements about theological, metaphysical, and moral matters, that therefore we must leave others alone and, re- and restrict our pursuit of the true and good to our private enclaves is therefore a failure of love. For instance, abortion, uh, the disruption of the family, and the pushing of radical gender ideology on kids hurts kids. Do we love our little neighbors? Politics must promote the good, protect the weak, And yes, in this we love our enemies, but the winsome types particularly struggle here, for that framework makes them extremely reluctant to even admit that we have enemies. But we do. Scripture says so. And here's how the Puritan Richard Baxter defines them. He that hates you and seeks or desires your destruction or your hurt as such designedly. There are such entities that seek our ill in a systematic fashion. We need to admit this. But yes, we still must love our enemies. But my question is this. Does that entail, does letting our enemies get whatever they want in the social and political order? And might love of neighbor also include protecting them from enemies? You cannot claim to love your neighbor while remaining indifferent to the things that destroy them. Within our love for our enemies, we need to restrict their ability to inflict evil on our neighbors. Letting socially destructive actions persist, letting enemies run roughshod over the polis and doing harm to our neighbors is a failure of love. And to close here, there's another Protestant figure whose approach, I think, would be helpful to retrieve in some fashion today. And I'm more of a modern theologian, so I'm going to talk about someone more recent. Francis Schaeffer. He was a leading Protestant voice of the, in the old New Right. The New Right is like a recycled thing. So in the late 70s and 80s, he helped in, uh, inspire the New Right. He saw through the squishy appeals to love in his day, which inclined Christians to avoid confrontation. And he repeatedly proclaimed that truthful love must confront destructive wickedness and he was committed to use political means. He was fervent about waking up a sleepy church from its blindness to evils in the culture and its unwillingness to act. He helped, for instance, rally Protestants to finally rally around to oppose abortion. Dobbs is in some way his legacy. Schaefer also critiqued the pietistic Christians of his day who thought it categorically wrong to partner with non-Christians in common cause. He promoted the two terms allies and co-belligerents to explain types of partnership that are needed for politics in a broken world, you know, the world in which we live. An ally is a Christian with whom you agree on most things, but are in different traditions. A co-belligerent is a person who may not have the proper theological reasons for the positions he shares with Christians, but with whom we can partner for particular causes. And Schaefer didn't let the put down terms like fundamentalist or the new right, and today we could add Christian nationalist, distract or hinder him from, from pressing on. He said these types of terms are just used to refer to anybody who's ready to stand against the downward slide of the culture rather than going along in accommodation. So I submit that we are in need of a new and doubtless very different Francis Schaeffer, or maybe many of them. Certainly we can resist some of his theological errors, his, for instance his over-reliance on theonomy, which my good friend Tymon can explain in more depth, we can also cr- correct some of his political limitations, his tendency toward libertarianism, which is an ironic tension with his theonomy. That's for another time. But also, I would say, the populism of the old new right that he helped inspire. See, the public faces of that old new right were much more crudely populist. And I, yes, we, I do agree, we need to absolutely listen to the concerns of the people and curb the influence of corrupt elites, but we're going to have elites. We need them, and we need to promote and platform serious leaders and not let our movement get hijacked by less serious persons. But we need to hold on to Schaefer's spirit. He called Christians to wake up, to be bold, and to fight the evils in their society. And his apologetic background, which you could say was winsome, did not hold him back from this. Though the winsome types like him, they tend to ignore his late writings, those particularly in the 70s and 80s, and his political activism and his role in the emergence of the religious right and moral majority. My view is that we need some leaders who embody the spirit of Schaefer, who see the issues of the day clearly, who rally other Christians to act with regard to important causes, and to make allies and co-belligerents. And these leaders need not to worry so much that we might not be equally balanced between the parties or the various sides. That is such a weird and arbitrary imposition on our politics, and just ignore it. But we need to ground our Schaeferianism in a more robust political theology than he himself had. We need to avoid the crude populism and insufficiently theological pragmatism of the old new right. And I think this can be achieved through things like the historical work of retreat, retrieval work that people like Brad and Timon and Glenn are doing. But we need to con- combine this with, I think, a Schaeferian activism. We can and should try to win. Not just for us, not just for our kids, though certainly them, but also for our neighbors. If you love your neighbors, you should be willing to win. Not at any cost, but embracing the cost of getting hit with negative labels from those who disagree. Losing beautifully is no virtue. And ignore the accusations that cripple those who, by appropriating the winsome approach, are too concerned about how Christians are perceived. Focus on seeking justice. Speak the truth. Stand firm. Don't let winsomeness keep us from trying to win in the public for the common good. Thank you.